you can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 17. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about dangers in the dark, lurid letters, macabre automobiles, and living legends. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, if you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. 
and thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Daniel Martins. In it, a man recounts the events that led to his fear of the dark, or rather, what's in the dark. Without further ado, I present to you, Not Afraid of the Dark. I always have a torch in my pocket these days. I found a small LED one at an electronics store for a couple of bucks, and I keep it on me at all times. It's actually really bright despite the size. I bought five. The other four are placed in strategic locations around my house so I can get to any of them quickly if need be. I won't get caught in the dark again, you see. It's bad enough that I see her every time I close my eyes. I don't think I could handle seeing her again with my eyes open. But I digress. Perhaps this would be better told from the start. I used to work in an office building in town for the public counter service of a government department that shall, well, remain unnamed. The work was fine. It basically involved taking and checking applications, talking to the public about different services that our department provided, that sort of thing. Nothing out of the ordinary with the work or my colleagues, who I got along with very well. The building, however. To look at it from the outside, you wouldn't think that it was any different from any other the surrounding office buildings. Twelve stories tall, very square, flat sides, etc. Nothing ostentatious. It was just a simple office building, like hundreds of others in my city. The building was slightly older than the surrounding ones, built in the 1980s, I think. There was the occasional draft, and the lights would flicker now and again, but no major problems. There were four elevators, one of which always seemed to be out of order. They'd fix one, then another one would inexplicably break. There was something with the electrics that would cause the doors to slam shut without warning sometimes and they would occasionally drop slightly when you got in them. Nothing serious enough for the building owners to actually do anything about, but enough to be more than of an annoyance. The lifts used to give me the jeeblies even before all of this. I used to take the stairs a lot. There were two stairwells, one on either side of the building. Both of them were fairly narrow, so if you were coming up and you met someone coming down, You'd either need to wait in the stairwell by the doors at the different levels, or turn sideways and let them squeeze past. They tended to get a bit clogged if there was an evacuation for a fire alarm or something, but I was only on the third floor, so it didn't take long for me to get there to the ground, or vice versa. The stairwells were windowless, plain cement with yellow lights illuminating them, but fairly dim. I think the building's owners used crappy energy-saving bulbs to try and save some money. There was a bathroom in each of the different stairwells on every level, men's room on one stairwell, ladies in the other. 
The building managers installed combination locks on all of those doors after there was a peeping Tom incident in the ladies one day, so only people who worked in the building could get in. There were different businesses and departments on each of the floors, and the locks all had different combinations, so you could only use the bathroom on your floor. You couldn't go up or down a level to use another. Because we were part of a government department, there was an emphasis on security. We all had swipe card access to get from the reception areas in the back office of my floor. And you'd also need to remember your card if you were going to the bathroom. The doors to the stairwells had the same magnetic safety locks as the doors to the back area. And although you could get out by pushing a button to release the lock, you had to swipe your card to get into the floor from the stairwell. If you were in the bathroom, there was a similar button to press to get back into the stairwell. It's hard to pinpoint when the trouble started. It's not like somebody clicked their fingers and everything turned on like a light switch. I'm assuming you heard the story about how a frog put in boiling water will jump straight out, but if you put the frog in cold water and bring it slowly to the boil, it'll stay in, happily boiling to death without realizing had the situation gone from normal to messed up in a hurry, then I probably would have got the hell out of there and quickly. But like they say, hindsight is twenty-twenty vision. There was an imbalance of girls to guys who worked at my office, so I quite often had the men's room to myself. Nothing like being able to go in peace, you know? The earliest occasion of anything weird happening I can remember... I was going off to the bathroom, which involved walking through the reception area. I pressed the button to let me into the stairwell, and was in the stairwell, keying in the code to let me into the men's room, and the stairwell door shut behind me. There was nothing out of the ordinary in this. The door was on one of those hinges, which makes it close automatically. What was weird was that the second door that shut, I got a shiver up my spine. Everything was suddenly quiet, almost oppressively silent. The noise of the radio and the people in the waiting room had been completely cut off when the door shut, when normally you could hear things even when in the bathroom. I didn't think too much of it at the time, but I didn't take my time as I normally might have. I got in, did what I needed to, and got out of there quickly. The feeling of unease faded, as I came back into the brighter lights of the waiting room. From there, everything was normal for days, possibly weeks. I'm a little fuzzy on the actual time frame, as a lot of stuff that happened took place over a longish period of time. A few smallish things happened here and there, the odd cold spot, the odd shiver, like when you feel you're being watched. But I just put it down to stress and kept on with doing my job and my life. Like I said earlier, I was uh, getting on very well with my colleagues and my boss. Most of us were of a similar age, mid-twenties, and every now and again we'd go out for a few post-work drinks on a Friday, let loose a little and de-stress from the week. One Friday we closed up the public counter and all the customers were gone, and we were packing up and getting ready to head out. I excused myself to use the men's room before we went out, but when I opened the stairwell door, I noticed that it seemed dimmer than normal in the stairwell. 
The light at the top of the stairs to the floor above had blown. As I turned to the right to key in the code to the bathroom door, I saw something out of the corner of my eye in the gloom at the top of the stairs. Something, and I can't be any more descriptive than that, something flashed across my vision, a dark shape going from right to left from the door by the bathroom at the top of the stairs, around the corner to the next flight out of my line of sight. It was fast, impossibly fast, like watching a movie and fast-forwarding to four times the normal speed. I couldn't see any details. It was just a black shape, but it seemed darker than the lack of light surrounding it somehow. The movement was the worst, though. Despite the speed, it didn't seem to blur or sway at all. It was a scuttle more than anything. I swung around, away from the bathroom, and stood frozen at the bottom of the flight of stairs, staring transfixed up into the gloom at the top. I don't know how long I stood there for, but I was frozen in place, too scared to move. The next thing I can remember, a hand clamped down on my shoulder. Daniel, what are you doing, man? It was my boss, come to find out what was taking so long. There was, there was, this, there's something, I stammered, trying to get the words out. My boss looked quizzically at me, one eyebrow raised. What was it? He asked. I turned to look up the stairs again. Everything seemed less dim than it had been a moment ago. Nothing, I replied, shaking my head. Must have been a trick of the light. Been meaning to get my eyes tested. Then let's get the hell out of here and offer some drinks, my boss exclaimed. Later at the bar, surrounded by my colleagues, laughing and joking about the week's events, everything seemed fine with the world. It was warm and bright in the bar, and my sense of dread had completely gone. Had I known what was to come, however, then I probably would have been feeling very different indeed. Things seemed fairly normal for a while after that. I came back to work after the weekend, got on with my job, tried to put what I'd seen, or thought I'd seen anyway, out of my mind. My job had some perks, one of which is that the department would pay for an eye test, and new glasses if you needed them, so I got that done. The optometrist said that my eyes hadn't deteriorated at all in the five years since my previous eye test, but it was probably time for a new pair of glasses anyway. About a month after the last incident, I was heading to the gym after work, so I headed to the bathroom to get changed so I could run there. We'd turned out most of the lights, but it wasn't dark yet outside, so the place was still well enough lit to see in, although not nearly as bright as with the lights on. Because the public reception area was shut for the day due to the time, I used the public bathroom attached to the waiting area to put on my gym clothes. I put my earbuds in and cranked up the volume on my MP3 player, getting myself in the mood for the run, when I heard screaming. It's hard to describe exactly how it sounded. It was definitely female, but it sounded raw, like it came from a throat full of razor blades, if that makes any sense. It sounded impossibly loud and close, but at the same time, like it was coming from miles away. I yanked out my earbuds, unlocked the door, and sprinted out into the waiting room, 
fully expecting to see someone being murdered. It was deserted, completely empty, not a soul in sight. I looked around, slowly, listening hard, trying to hear or see what had been screaming. I turned back toward the public bathroom, which I'd come, and I could see the mirror and myself in it, and I could see something dark looming over my shoulder. I spun on the spot, bracing myself as I did so, but there was nothing there. I looked back at the mirror, but whatever had been there a second ago was gone. I scrambled for my swipe access cards, used them to open the door to the back part of the office, and ran in there where my boss was sitting at his desk, packing up for the day. Did you you hear that? I half shouted. He looked confused. You know what? I heard someone screaming, I replied. He got up quickly, and we walked into the waiting room, both listening hard. After a minute, he turned to me. I didn't hear anything, Dan, he said. Are you okay? You seem a little off lately. To his credit, my boss looked genuinely concerned. He was easily the best manager we ever had, and really looked after all of his staff. If you need some time off, uh, just let me know. You have plenty of leave saved off. He left the offer hanging. I, I, I don't know, I replied. I'll let you know. I turned and headed for the lifts. The sense of unease and I dread I had felt was back, and much harder to shake this time. What the hell was I seeing, or hearing, and what the hell could I do about it? <clears throat> like I said earlier, had this stuff happened all at the same time, I probably would have bailed on my job and tried to find work elsewhere. For God knows what reason, though, I decided to stick it out, see if things would get better. Benefits of hindsight, right? Things started getting worse from there. I'd get chills walking through parts of the office, or while sitting at my desk. I put in requests to the property service to have the air conditioning looked at, and everything came back normal. The lights above my desk would flicker occasionally, but no matter how many different bulbs I had maintenance swap out, I'd see shapes moving in dark corners on the edge of my vision, and they'd be gone when I turned to face them. My health started to deteriorate. I was jumpy and tired a lot, losing weight, and my workmates were noticing the change. I wasn't sleeping well. My dreams were plagued by shapes moving in the darkness, just out of my line of sight. I had to leave the lights on at home when I tried to sleep. I was too scared of what would happen if I awoke in the dark. As I mentally and physically grew weaker, Thanks to stress and worry about what was happening, whatever was chasing me seemed to get stronger, more real somehow. I started noticing details in the darkness. Long, lanky black hair, for example. Nothing clear or corporal enough for me to be able to give a real idea of an appearance, but enough to make me shudder thinking about possibilities. More than once, I felt the brush of impossibility cold fingers across my shoulder, turning to find nobody there. I almost quit several times. Thinking back now, I don't know why the hell I didn't just up and leave. 
I think I might have stayed out of a sense of misguided pride. I wanted to show I was tougher than whatever was tormenting me, or at least find out why it was only targeting me. Nobody else had any issues at all, and they couldn't understand my misgivings about being alone when I was at work now. I did try to look into the building's history, but everything came up blank. No skeletons in the closet, no suicides, absolutely nothing out of the ordinary at all. It made no sense, damn it. Everything was about to come to a head, however, as we neared the Christmas season. One of the traditions of the workplace was a team photo every year. We would all get dressed up in our best to have the photo professionally taken. Then the photo would be blown up and hung out back. This year, though, they didn't hang the photo. The day came and went as normal. We lined up together and had the photo taken. The photographer left, and we went about our day as normal. A week went by, and I came into work one morning to find the team surrounding my boss's desk, looking at something on it. As I entered, the team looked up from what was on the desk as one, and all looked towards me at the same time. Something was wrong. I could tell. Some of their faces showed puzzlement. Some showed confusion. And some, more than a few, showed some fear. Without a word, they fouled away from the desk and went off to their own stations, with my boss beckoning to me to come over. On his desk was an A3-sized photo, the team photo. He gestured for me to take a look, and I did, naturally seeking myself out from the bunch. I'd been sitting in a chair at the front row, so it was fairly easy to find myself. But when I did, everything went cold. What the hell is with this, Dan? My boss asked, his voice quavering slightly. Whereas everyone else in the photo was completely normal and smiling brightly, my face was almost indescribable. When the photo had been taken, I was smiling like everyone else, but here, here it looked like you were looking at my face through a fishbowl. I was distorted, stretched out. I looked in pain. My mouth stretched much wider than it would naturally go, eyes slightly crazed. And that wasn't even the worst part. There was something standing behind me. Again, to the eye, it was nothing more distant than a dark shape. No details could be made out, but the way it loomed over me, it was menacing, malevolent even. The hair on the back of my neck rose as I looked at the photo. I don't have a clue, Norm. Something up with the camera lens, maybe? I considered telling him the truth, but, well, uh, there was something that seemed to be after me. But that... It's a good way to end up as the crazy guy in the office. As things were, I wasn't even completely sure that I wasn't already the crazy guy. The photo went into the bin. The next day, I found myself posted to a different part of the office, the banking room. For security purposes, the banking room was completely internal and windowless, with swipe card access in from the back area of the office. Once inside, the doors would lock magnetically, 
and you had to push a button on the wall in order to release the locks to get out. My boss thought some time away from the counter would do me some good, and he'd arranged for an appointment with work-provided counseling services for me. An hour or so into the day, I felt a chill settle into the room. I looked at the thermostat on the wall and was surprised to see it unchanged. Then the lights began to flicker. They flicked on and off, on and off again. I spun on my chair looking for a cause, but finding none. I spun back toward the desk and came face to face with a nightmare. The dark shape was on the desk. I recoiled in horror, pushing my chair back to the opposite wall, trying to put some distance between myself and it. But the room was small. I hit the shelves lining the wall behind me, tumbling to the floor as I did so. For the first time ever, I could clearly see detail in the darkness, which would seem to solidify for a split second after the lights flickered off and then fade in the light when they came back on again. The figure was a girl. At least it was the semblance of a girl. She could have been anywhere between 16 and 50. She was crouched in a squatting position on the desk, her knees near her head, hands on the flat-top desk, long hair hanging down over her features. She seemed to be looking past me, but then the head turned slowly, ever so slowly, and her gaze met mine. Oh, God, those eyes! They were entirely black, but in different shades, so you could make out the different parts where the white would normally be, the iris, the pupils. Those eyes were full of madness, of hatred, and of hunger. The perverse, unsettling hunger of a thing that desires something sitting just outside its grasp. A single tear rolled down my quivering cheek as I looked upwards toward the whore. With every flicker of the light, she seemed to grow more solid, more real, as if feeding off the darkness and my fear in turn. Her grin crept slowly, hungrily across her face, impossibly wide, and the eyes grew more crazed and vicious and larger in turn. She opened her mouth, bearing long, sharp teeth, and looked as if she was trying to say something, but all that came from her throat was a hungry, dangerous growl like nails on a chalkboard. I tried to call out in turn, but nothing came from my throat, nothing except a pathetic, frightened whimper. Without taking my gaze from the nightmarish face, I struggled to get my feet under me. I didn't dare look away, for fear she would be upon me. I'd seen how fast this thing could move in the darkness. Staying as close to the wall as I could, I backed slowly, ever so slowly away, toward the door. Her gaze followed me as she cocked her head slightly to the side, as if trying to figure out what I was doing. As I reached the door, I fumbled behind me for the button that would release the magnetic lock and hopefully release me from the confines of the suddenly oppressively small room. I reached for it, and my hand hit the light switch. The room plunged into darkness. I froze, all of a sudden, feeling hot, wet, stinking breath on the back of my neck. It smelled like 
death and decay and corruption and somehow of an aching, burning hunger. Mine, now, a voice rasped in my ear. I found the ability to scream as pain shot through my body. I don't remember much of what happened next, for which I'm truly grateful. I think my brain has tried to block some of it out. My colleagues heard my screams and came running. They found me in the corridor of the room, flailing my bleeding arms and gibbering madly. An ambulance was called and I was sedated and taken to the hospital. I had deep scratches all over my torso and arms and bite marks on my wrists. The doctors decided that I had some sort of psychotic break and done it myself because, after all, who else could have done it? There was nobody in the room with me when I was found. I tried to point out that the bites don't look like my teeth and that there was no blood or skin under my nails, but they didn't listen. The wounds eventually healed and became scars. My boss, good guy that he is, arranged for me to work for a separate part of the department, one in the brand-new, well-lit building. I remained in touch with some of my former workmates, although some of them now regarded me, perhaps not too wrongly of them, as a freak. Since that day, I've never let myself be in the dark without at least some form of illumination. Most of the time, I'll stay in brightly lit rooms or outside in the sunshine. She can't get to me in the light, and although she's strong, she's not yet strong enough to come out of the darkness. I think she wants to get me, and if she managed to catch me and finish me off, then maybe she'll be strong enough to walk in the light. So, you see, it's not the dark that I'm afraid of. No, not at all. It's what lurks in the dark, watching, waiting. That's what terrifies me. I think that she's from somewhere beyond, somewhere behind the darkness, and was trying to get from there to here. And I think that somehow I let her in. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. 
We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Not Afraid of the Dark by Daniel Martins, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a second story for you. This one from author Marion Johnson which takes the form of a letter from a gentleman trying desperately to warn his friends of an imminent danger. Whether the recipients will receive the missive in time to save themselves, well, you'll just have to stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, I present to you Mr. Livingston. Dear Mr. Livingston, I understand that you're a man of business, often solely occupied in the manners that bring such a lively income to our estate. My good sir, I write to you at this time, imploring you to return home at once, for we've been visited by a great darkness at Whippertshire Estate. I shall recount to you the events of the last three days with as much accuracy as I can manage under the circumstances. It began with a knock on the door and a strange girl begging shelter. She was but a little thing, perhaps ten years of age, drenched from the storm that tore across Whippetshire. Mrs. Livingston insisted that she enter. Ms. DeVoe and I fixed the little one's supper. Mrs. Livingston supped with her, inquiring as to her name and why she was in this part of the country at night. The girl ate quietly, knobby little hands quivering, answering nothing. She only stared into her bowl of soup like a looking-glass. I remember her reminding me of the black little rat that stole into the kitchen last week, sullen hands and features. When the child finally spoke, her voice chimed off the glasses at the table. "'Do you not remember, mother?' "'Whatever do you, do you mean, child? Speak your name.' "'You never gave me a name.' Mrs. Duvois and I stared at one another, quite baffled. Mrs. Livingston's face paled. She frantically pushed herself up from the table. "'Who are you? Who sent you? Tell me this instant, child. Which of my cruel neighbors has sent you to torment me this way?' "'You know who I am, mother.' Why do you call me that? Why do you call me mother? Oh, wicked child, naughty child. Mrs. Livingston wrung her hands, tearing the napkin from her neck. Mrs. Duvois and I knew not what to do with ourselves in this moment, for we stood paralyzed betwixt curiosity and bewilderment. My good sir, having served you for many years, 
I've known of your wife's barren state. I watched Mrs. Duvois wash bloody garments month after month since the two of you wed ten years ago. Surely the little villain was playing in a scheme egged on by cruel neighbors who have been suspicious of your childless marriage. An evil thing, indeed, to do in return for such hospitality offered by the good Mrs. Livingston. I have no child. I have no child. Your wife clamped her hands over her mouth. Tell them, mother. I rushed forward to seize the little thing, as Mrs. Livingston was in hysterics, violently weeping into her palms. Tell them who I am. It's not possible. Mrs. Livingston sobbed. I grabbed the girl by her shoulders and pulled her towards the door in the entryway. The little creature drew her head back and spat in my face. Mrs. Duwois rushed to Mrs. Livingston's side, fanning the distraught woman. I opened the front door and pushed the girl out in the rain. You shan't return to bother Mrs. Livingston again. Run along now, you wicked thing. The girl turned. Lightning and thunder shattered the chorus of the pattering rain. The lightning illuminated the girl's black eyes into the most hateful red. How my soul quaked at those eyes. I slammed the door and crossed myself at once. I returned to the dining room to find Miss Dubois consoling your Mrs. Livingston. We put her to bed with a cross and a prayer, pleading the dear Lord to guard against the demons that haunt her sleep. Mrs. Dubois and I extinguished each candle throughout the house, whispering in our hearts as the soft glow vanished between our fingertips. Sleep seemed to dampen the previous night's horrors, for in the morning Mrs. Dubois and I cheerfully set about making our Mrs. Livingston's breakfast as pleasant as ever. A hot pot of tea and shortbread were served beside a poached egg. Mrs. Duvois retrieved flowers for a centerpiece, placing the lovely little blues in a vase on the table. We waited patiently for our lady to emerge from her room. We reheated the pot of tea twice while waiting. Mrs. Livingston didn't enter the dining hall until nearly ten, her usual gaiety covered with wrinkles of exhaustion. Her normally camped bun hung in disarray. The poor woman sat down in silence, sipping her tea without the usual deliberation, accompanying her movements. Finally, without turning a gaze from the vase, she said, Those are lovely flowers, Mrs. Devois. They're not the usual, though. Pray, tell me what they're called. Forget-me-nots. Mrs. Livingston stopped a teacup inches from her lips. What? What did you say? Forget-me-nots, madam. Mrs. Livingston spat. Where did you discover them? Where did they come from? Why, they must have sprung up within the last few days, madam. They're growing all over the grass in front of the house. Your wife's face turned a ghastly white. I want them all out. Throw them all out. Mrs. Livingston rose rigidly, throwing her napkin down onto her plate, leaving the shortbread untouched. Yes, madam, I didn't mean... Throw them all out. Mrs. Duvois quickly whisked away the vase. I followed Mrs. Livingston to the front room, where she had yanked open the drapes. 
I caught her as she stumbled back, gasping. Forget-me-nots cover the entirety of the front lawn, the rolling fog making the lawn appear as a blue sea in the storm. Mrs. Livingston rushed to the door, scraping the locks open, jutting herself out of the door. Madam, you'll catch cold. Your wife cast herself upon the blanketed lawn. I hadn't ever witnessed such behavior in a human being before. It was as though a wild beast had taken possession of the woman. She crawled on all fours, ripping flowers out in clumps. Mrs. Devois rushed calmer. She attempted to hold her arms down, trying to take the flowers from her clenched fists. Mrs. Livingston struggled violently, thrashing about in her arms. I came to the aid of Mrs. Devois, and we managed to drag her back into the house. However, your wife bit Mrs. Devois's arm, drawing blood and leaving marks from her teeth. The blood trickled all over the Persian rug in the entryway, and all the way up the stairs. My dear sir, we had no choice. We barred her in her bedroom, locking her door, and placing a steel rod against it. She pounded at the door, howling. Oh, forgive us this treatment, Mr. Livingston. We meant no harm. Mrs. Duvois attended to her arm, wrapping a bandage around, bloodying the white linen. You don't understand. You don't understand. We heard these howls from the bedroom for the duration of our mourning. Violent sobs followed for hours. Mrs. Duvois watched by the door with a pained expression and weariness in her bones. She and I traded places beside the door, ensuring that your wife posed no harm to herself. Finally, a silence rang from the room, lasting for hours. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when we unlocked the door. Mrs. Livingston was squatting next to her bed, cradling a white blanket in her arms like an infant. Her hair hung about her shoulders in disarray, torn from a bun. She whispered incoherently into the blanket. We, with the door open, staring in disbelief. Your Mrs. Livingston has always been a woman of propriety, never letting those in her company see her as anything but distinguished. I had always thought her to be an upright woman before God. I had always believed her to be benevolent. I had never questioned her as good. Dear God, Mr. Livingston, did you know, in all of my decades of service, I had never heard such a tale as the one your wife wove, evoking the fabrics of disdain and darkness. She saw myself and Mrs. Devois standing in the doorway, her eyes would not have been out of place in a mortuary. If I asked to swear on my holy Bible that the woman was alive, I could not have brought myself to do so. Mrs. Livingston lifted her face from the blanket. Her thin lips quivered. In her agonized state, she had bitten off the top layer of flesh. Blood dripped down her chin, staining the white blanket in her arms. Mrs. Devois clasped her hands over her mouth. Dear Lord in heaven, madam, tell them who I am. A warbling hiss rippled through the room. I threw my arms around Mrs. Devois' shoulders, stumbling back. Who's there? I shouted into the wooden panels of the ceiling. 
tell them who I am. Mrs. Livingston bit down on a clenched fist, shaking her head violently. A black mist began to fall from the ceiling, and a small figure shrouded in darkness rose beside the bed. It was the devilish girl, cloudy red eyes, illuminated in the mist. Mrs. Duvois screamed. The girl bent beside Mrs. Livingston's heir, gripping her shoulder with white hands. Tell them who I am. Mrs. Livingston began to weep, slamming her palms against the wooden floor, thrusting aside the bloody white bundle. Then tell them what you are. No, it's not possible. Bring not your treachery upon this woman. I leapt forward only to be driven back by the little figure snarling at me like a cat. Please, Mrs. Livingston begged. I am innocent. She turned her face to us, tears streaming down a withered face. Oh, how I thought that my nightmares might end. How I thought that one night might bring comfort. The girl dug her nails into Mrs. Livingston's shoulder. Your wife cried out in anguish. Finally, between sobs, she told us the cause behind this unspeakable evil. I was young. I had no choice. I had no choice. The girl threw back her head and emitted a hideous roar. I gave you away to a couple walking alongside the road where I birthed you. You were born in a field of forget-me-nots on a rainy day. Their fragrance still stings my nose with the stench of a broken soul. I was betrothed to James Livingston. My engagement would have been broken if anyone had found me out. I had no choice. You don't understand. My family had no money. I was the last hope for my parents. We would have rotted in debtor's prison. Our mouths gaped open. Our lady had not seemed capable of bearing a child, let alone at a young age. Oh, sir, did you know? I was not at fault. The father of your body pushed himself up against me one night. Morris Angler. I was walking home one night when he attacked me. I wanted nothing of it. Now I'm unable to bear children to my husband. These years since your birth have wrought only the greatest cruelty. Oh, spare me. Oh, God, spare me for I've been broken. She kneeled onto the floor, sobbing. The girl extracted her hand from your wife's shoulder. The smoldering seethe of hatred slowly dissipated from her face into a look of consideration. Morris Angler. Again the hiss echoed in her ears. He is the cause of my death. That couple treated me like a sick dog. They abandoned me. They left me to beg and starve. Morris Angler. She leaned forward over the quaking Mrs. Livingston. We shall have our revenge, mother. The creature stepped back and vanished, leaving behind a mist of blood. Silence drifted into the room as the last rays of the day bled through the window. Mrs. Duvois and I cleaned and bandaged the wounds raked on your wife's shoulder. The five gashes were deep and required stitching. Her lips will require months to recover. We called on Dr. Tarwell to come tend to her at once. 
We spent our days attending to your wife in the house with trembling hands and hushed tones. Mr. Livingston, Morris Angler, lives but three miles from our estate. Word has reached me that he was found dead in his barn late last night. Authorities think that he was attacked by an animal. His face had been torn through. His nether regions had been severed as well. But we know what has befallen the late Morris Angler. Oh, sir, pray that this evil reside in our town no longer. Return home to your wife, who is under the care of those whom love her. She is ill with guilt and grief. She has injuries that will require months of repair and tending. She has the wound of a lifetime which will require, perhaps, the remainder of her lifetime to heal from. Return home to us quickly, as you are able. May God watch over you. Edgar Devois. You can live out your master chef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I hope you enjoyed Mr. Livingston by author Marion Johnson, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as $5 per month, and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter... Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series Horror Storytime dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, 
and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? list you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's list is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. 
Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 